Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best art materials that you can get. You can find their products online at goldenpaints.com or in your local art store. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. Check out their website, fulcrumcoffee.com, where you can order subscription coffee services to have different blends delivered straight to your door, and you could save by entering code ALFREDSTUDIO when you check out. Youngmin Park is an artist born in Seoul, South Korea, who lives and works in New York. She has a BFA from the Korea National University of Arts in Seoul, South Korea, and she's about to get her MFA from Columbia University in New York. She has an upcoming solo show at Make Room Gallery in Los Angeles and a three-person exhibition at Latitude Gallery in New York. She's had shows at the Blanc Gallery in New York, the Wallach Gallery, Airsu Gallery in Seoul, Pixel Counting Gallery in Seoul, Metal House Gallery in South Korea, amongst others. I had a conversation with young men about making paintings, moving from Seoul to the US, her family history, relationship to music, and much more. Here's our conversation. could be stressful in many ways and um, because of all the people coming into your studio and stuff but uh, for me luckily I kind of enjoy the stress and it kind of fuels me to work harder Um, I guess like the best thing that I got out of the program I guess for now is the people I met here I really didn't know what to expect here because it's my first time coming to the US But yeah, like there's people coming from different cultures. Uh, We all have, we're all in different periods or um, places in our career too. So, uh, but I've luckily found some good friends that I could really uh, talk to, share anything with and yeah, we've been really helping each other out. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's go back. Mm-hmm. You grew up in South Korea. Yes, uh, yes. Seoul, Seoul City, just like most of the Koreans you would ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, what, what was, uh, were your parents, what was their line of work? Were they creative at all? No, not at all. So, um... My experience in Korea growing up is a bit unique. So unlike most of my generation, I grew up in a large family in a house around the mountains. And um, the typical type of family home nowadays in Korea would be like two generations living in an apartment, right? Um, Right. But then, however, in my case, it was a bit different because 
When my parents got married,、uh, they started to live with and at my grandparents' house in my dad's side.、Um, and my grandparents are both North Koreans. So、um, they escaped the North during the Korean Civil War. And like most people of that era, there was this preference for sons. And so like, they did too. But it wasn't easy, you know, it's like uncontrollable.、Um, yeah. And There's a whole other like, crazy story about this trying to have a son part, but、uh, just jumping into the conclusion, it was after having seven daughters until they got a son, which is my dad. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> so I have seven aunts.、Um, and they aren't the kindest people in the world. I mean, it, would be, it might just be in their nature, but also just thinking about how my grandparents are,、uh, it would be strange if they were normal. Um, the competitiveness they had between each other was the main thing. Yeah.、Uh, but even outside of the family, they、uh, couldn't really build healthy human relationships. And so, for my aunt's marriages, my grandfather chose the people who he thought would be helpful for his business and paired them up. And of course, it's like it failed. It's abnormal to do that. So,、um, right. Some got divorced, some, the husband just like ran away, and we all kind of ended up living in the same household, which makes two, my two grandparents,、uh, seven aunts, my parents, and me and my sister、uh, all present in one house. And it kind of like didn't really end there. We also had eight dogs,、um, 16 and more cats. We kind of lost count in the middle, it was just a lot. And、um, also a big group of carps. Um, and that's a lot. It's a Wait, lot. Wait, you were the only kids, though? You and your sister? Yeah. Wait, that seems like statistically <laughs> well, like not probable that out of all those aunts, you only, there was only you and your sister. Yes, because my mom was aware that they would,、uh, my grandparents would kind of force her to get a son, too. Um, so she kind of had to lie that、uh, she had some like <laughs> health issues and she can't like、uh, go on with that. So it kind of stopped、oh, at、wow. my, yeah. Have you already or maybe thought about trying to sell this story to KBS for a drama? No. <laughs> But no? It, it would sell, I guess. Don't you think? I feel like this is right in line with. <laughs> But there's no romance. You know? Ah, you could write that into the script. <laughs> you, could, you could just put that arc in there. But yeah, that sounds very. Yeah. Bizarre, yeah. Unusual and、um, active. Very active. Household. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so like. So, what was growing up like in that environment? Well, you know, because、like, I was the youngest in that huge family, I felt like I was kind of placed in the middle of this two human group and animal group. And there w a s this like two very present dynamics going on. And when I was younger, because of this age gap I had with the other family members, I think I felt more closer to the dogs. And I sort of placed myself into the dog group.、Um, and then. As I grew older, I slowly shifted my way to the human group. But, anyways, because 
there was just so many people and animals in the house. Uh, I felt like there was this, there was just endless accidents. And although I didn't know it at that time, there was just, there was just so many things about my family that I learn till now and get corrected as I grow up. And yeah, yeah and I think like this main feeling of never being able to see the full uh, concurrently when in a large group really got me interested in uh, the idea of parallax of gaze, the communication of severance alongside the simultaneity of um, connection and disconnection. And that really like, uh, I think became present in my work too. And okay. mm-hmm. I have questions. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> course. Wait, so oh, now it's starting to, like some of the imagery that I've seen of yours that it kind of makes sense. Like, oh, that makes sense. You know, I'm kind of like yeah. associating that experience with some of these images and it's starting to inform that work in a way. But wait, so I don't, maybe I'm not trying to... When did you start learning English? Oh, I... Um, spent a year and a half in Canada during my first year in elementary school. Okay, so you, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I mean, if you just, if this is like your second year in the US and you're throwing around parallax and like all that, I mean, it's just, you're very accomplished with the way that you're talking about your work. I've had my hand at foreign languages and I've, wouldn't even be able to come because you know how it is it's like talking about you know food and going to a restaurant yeah i mean okay, it's so hard it's thing. so hard it's different Art traveling like, yeah it, different language so yes i can't imagine like the second language description of conceptual underpinnings of like an art practice well program has been <laughs> helping a me a lot i'm sure I mean, <laughs> you're in a good environment for uh, you know an accelerated track of broadening your art lexicon but still that's that's very impressive very much okay so the canada thing yes that was probably a nice or or sort of like uh, an icebreaker into the whole process uh, totally and then i watched so a lot of simpsons fluent. fluent yeah that'll do it too <laughs> <laughs> fluent i mean i i know that i don't have as much accent but i do mm-hmm. struggle with a lot of vocabularies obviously Right, but you have that ear from early on of hearing enunciations and stuff, which is yeah. very advantageous, I think. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm sorry, lucky. that was a that was a parallel, <laughs> that was a sidetrack thing, but I was just very impressed with it. I was like, man, if I moved to Korea for graduate school in my second year, I don't know if I'd be dropping parallaxes and like all the, <laughs> you know, and that would be pretty amazing. No, wait, but, but you you once yeah. um, you had a episode with Dana Locke, right? Yes. And Dana is uh, one of the people that comes into my studio regularly since I started the program. Okay. And yeah, she's been helping me a lot with these. That's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and anyways, um, um, yeah. Okay, well, so going back to the, the very busy household, this identification with the, with the dogs mm-hmm. as opposed to the adults, I mean, one would think surrounded by that many adults, you just sort of grow up faster because you're going to hear all that adult conversation. I mean, you're just around more adults, you know. But I guess you do have your sister and the pets and stuff, so maybe... So you kind of just got lost in that world because 
Yeah. That many pets sounds like a world. It doesn't sound like you just have a dog. It sounds like there's a whole community there. It, it was a huge community. It was it was just another environment. Uh, yeah. It's, it's weird. Yeah, and and also um. Since I came to New York, I feel like, cause, you know, it's my first time being actually distant to that family, uh, mm -hmm. craziness. Um, so my mom's my best friend and we talk a lot like every day on the phone and something that has changed since I came to New York is that we for the first time kind of talk about our past like we still with my grand we still uh, live with my grandmother our aunts come by daily but the dynamics has really changed throughout the years especially since my uh, grandfather passed away and it was mm -hmm. Um, almost an unspoken rule between us not to mention that time because you know like it was like a bit traumatic and also because yeah. I was too young I feel like my mom just didn't really feel like uh, starting that conversation but then now uh, now that I'm here and she's back in Korea there's this limited amount of things we could share um, and she's never been here so she wouldn't really know what's up just through words and this right. really got us to start talking about um, things in the past. And, and it's really surprising to hear um, how different we remember things. And I realized yeah. that just like every incident, every story, it's just given differently to everyone. Um, and I guess this like fluidness of stories and unevenness of memories also motivated me to make uh, my recent works here. Yeah, I mean, that is... Um one of the gifts of art mm -hmm. is that you could talk about experience, but then everyone else brings their own interpretation to it. Yeah. And I think that's, it's like that with memories as well. You know, you remember a situation, A, you're experiencing it from a young kid, so you have that angle, whereas as an adult, you're worried about other things, so you probably perceive that environment totally differently. So. Very much, yeah. Yeah, and, and artwork has that capability of really talking about a personal experience and then negotiating a shared experience with the viewer mm -hmm. in a way that you know other forms of creativity can't do but when did you first start becoming creative or did, were you always into drawing or when did you did you ever get to go see art when did you sort of get exposed to that side of things it really um really goes back to my past uh past too um it really started early because so, um, my elementary school, uh, we shared the schoolyard with uh, an art middle school and an art high school. Um, okay. It was kind of all in the same altar. So, I would see this, these like middle schoolers and high schoolers with super cool instrument bags, uh, ballet students with their hair tightly tied up. And of course, like fine art students with their apron on, drawing outside the schoolyard. And um, you know, when you're in elementary school, middle schoolers and high schoolers seem so mature, and they yeah. seem like the coolest people in the world. So I guess naturally, I thought um, that I would one day become one of those. And at first, yeah. I thought I would become a violinist because that's what I've been doing, um, and it seemed like the only option for me. But then my sister, who is three years older than me, and um, we also 
went into the same elementary school. Um, mm-hmm. So she graduated and got into that art middle school through fine art. And I didn't really know how that happened because we weren't really close back then. Although um, now we share every single detail of our life. But when we were yeah. young, uh, we had really different personalities. So my sister would be the typical first child who just listens to whatever her mom tells her to do. Um, like she would just grit her teeth and just do it. And yeah, yeah and like I on, their, on the other hand was the typical second child who would just do whatever I wanted to do, like a little bastard. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like while my sister was in those private academies, uh, I would just be in the mountains or spending time with my dogs at the house, just like chilling. Um, but anyways, like that's when I got introduced to this field on my fourth grade through my sister. And my um, sister used to go to this private art academy. Um, and one day I just followed my mom to go pick her up. And when I went inside, it, it felt magical because I've never seen anything like that. Like the airs, I remember like the air smelled like, um, like pencils, you know? yeah. uh, the lead of the pencil and, uh, People were drawing and painting still life. And it felt so magic. And I think my mom noticed that. Uh, and she asked if I wanted to give a try. And I was like, yeah, right? So um, yeah. from then on, my violin life uh, split it half to violin and half fine art. Yeah. And um, when I reached my sixth grade, I got offered from my after school orchestra club. Uh, to be the lead violinist. And although it was an elementary thing, like it was pretty serious for me. There was like 100 people in the team uh, and taking the lead was a huge deal. But then at the same time, uh, my art academy teacher told my mom that from now I would have to dedicate more time into the academy uh, if I want to start preparing for the exam to get into that art middle school. So, and like, what she meant by dedication, it was like eight to 12 hours of uh, spending time there every day. Every day? Every day. And that's serious. It's, it's very serious. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's a, rig- that's a rigorous schedule. Yeah, but then I enjoyed it. It wasn't really stressful for me, but. Oh no, no, it sounds great. Like yeah. if you're interested in it, I mean, what's better? But um, that means you have to sacrifice the music side a little bit, right? Yeah, so I had to uh, give up on something. And then I chose fine art. That was like the first time I made my life decision. And I remember yeah. crying so much on the last day of orchestra practice. But then, yeah, like that's how I started, um, very young. I think it was almost a gamble, I would say. But um, as I said, luckily, I enjoyed every single moment, um, and I made up my mind to become a painter in the second year of middle school. Uh, and I'm a super singular focused person, and I would, so like, if I like something, uh, and then I would decide to like something, I think those are two different things, uh, yeah. and I would just stick to it. Um, so my middle school years was a time to prepare for an art high school, and my high school years were also a time to prepare for university. And right. so since sixth grade to 12th grade, it was 
a minimum of four hours to 12 hours of uh, training every single day. Now, I don't, I don't know that much about Korean art schools, but mm -hmm. I mean, there are other places in Asia where there's, there's a hyper rigorous sort of, you know, traditional approach yeah. to a lot of the academies right. that is really geared towards fostering students to be able to, to get into grad or to get into uh, college or to art school. Yeah. I mean, was that kind of the pressure that you were under in that school? Was it more about academia and an academic approach to making work? I guess both, but um, I think it was more about going into uh, college. Yeah. So there was a lot of skillful technical uh, training. Uh, just like for still that. lives, painting yes. from the model, stuff like that. Exactly, yes. Was but was abstraction a dirty word or was that also embraced? Um, huh. It wasn't a thing. <laughs> it didn't yeah, exist. It just wasn't really round. It wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> Got it. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah, I guess like that's how I started. And as I said, um, I'm a super singular focused person. So uh, even when it was the time to prepare for universities, I just chose one, and yeah. I only applied to th that one. You're like, I'm getting in there. That's yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. Focus. Focus, focus, nothing else. And you got in. I, I did. assume. I did, yes, I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, were you, as a student, when you're, I mean, you obviously, it sounds like you're putting in your 10,000 10, hours a lot sooner than maybe others, if that's your work schedule. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a lot of work I mean, were you naturally someone that drawing and painting just came easily to you or were you had to put in the work to sort of get better at it? you know what I mean yeah some people just yeah. it's just they're they're just gifted and they can not work I, in different ways and it comes easy um well I think I was a bit on the gifted side I was uh always kind of so we o we always get ranked, right? Yeah. And I would be, I guess, on the top three all the time. And right. That's so funny because I feel like in schools, well, yeah, I don't know. I didn't go to like an art high school, but mm. the ranking thing nowadays seems like a little, they, they try not to do that as much. It's more like, oh, you're all good in your own way. Or, you know, it's, oh, but yeah, it? that ranking system seems very kind of like, yeah, you know where you stand as an artist. But is there such a thing as uh, like these private art academies here that help you get into yeah, art schools? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if there's many that are explicitly like fine. But I mean, if you look at New York City, like LaGuardia or Sinatra or places like that, they have art programs where people are art majors and it's really geared towards getting them ready for art school. Mm. So it... They're out there. Were, were you part of it? No? I don't, hell, no way. <laughs> I went to just a public school that was... Our art teacher was hilarious. She was just goofy and... She was great, but um, it was that was a fun class. It wasn't something where I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. No, but so it I was fun in for me. It was fun. Oh, yeah, it was I'm fun. Sure. <laughs> that sounds like it would be great. I mean, when, when I was young, I took some lessons with a local painter... 
but there was no like real seriousness to you know like in classes and stuff art was just the class you went and had fun and just sketched or did Mm. something fun for a little bit there was no thought of it being like something you could do do you know Uh but if you're going to a school like yours it's it's like geared towards getting you ready for doing this yeah very much yeah so when you have your portfolio after high school to get into this what's the name of the school that you went um, to Korean National University of Arts that's very distinguished sounding <laughs> 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 sounds very major it, it, <laughs> so, it was yeah yeah did you just apply with a portfolio of the stuff that you were doing in high school no it's actually a bit different there so um, there would be a portfolio thing but we would take an academic uh, test and then a kind of a skillful uh, test and when you go through that there would be as like every university they have different uh, types of exams but our school in particular um, we had three days of uh, tests so the first mm-hmm. day it's every time is different so first day uh, in our year they gave us a lecture and we would go to this room and from then like they would uh, we would have to it's, I don't know how to explain this like it was like a survival uh, program kind of a thing where so they would give us some tasks that was related to the lecture they gave us and we would draw something out of that that was our first day the second day um, I think we had to also draw something uh, that was also related to the previous like lecture and then on the third day we had to make an object and then while making the object uh, we would go to this we would um, we would go to this other room and there would be the two drawings we made on day one and day two and mm-hmm. they would make us have a debate on it and also an like yeah like an art debate <laughs> <laughs> so they were uh, watching us draw uh, build talk about what we've been doing uh, and then also yeah. question other people and it was that's like pretty oh, amazing I mean that's a rigorous like challenge as an artist you know at that stage yeah it was it was it was really fun too yeah I'm trying to think if I don't remember any like you know the only real memories I have is just in critiques of just having to talk about work or whatever but not any of these sort of like try this out and then you're tested on that you know it's a, it's a different kind of pressure which sounds kind of fun but probably yeah. daunting at the moment but it was only our uh, our college that did that and, yeah mm-hmm. and what was even more exciting was that uh there would be hundreds of people in the room and there was the professors from the call uh, the professors that were in the room um, and they would go around asking us why we're doing this and it was like a conversation during the test and they would even like uh, give us suggestions to do something different and it's your choice whether to take it or not it's like a reality show. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Because <laughs> you, 
can you imagine like normally in your studio your decisions are yours like you there's no one talking you just do your stuff and then you talk about it and then there's the questions about it but having that in real time would be a, a different kind of challenge mm-hmm. yeah so you you kind of went through art boot camp I guess so <laughs> <laughs> and now you're in a place that's very I'm sure it's pretty rigorous uh like right now like yeah. then right now um yeah yeah but probably different mm, I guess is it more freedom uh well, it's now the responsibly the responsibility all lies on me. So I guess there's right. more pressure, um, and on also, although I started this like art uh, career quite early, I've always had I've always questioned if this was actually a job. Like, you know, like right. can painting actually become a job? Like, is this gonna make money for me because I, I I didn't have anyone around me um, like that but then uh, this like Columbia MFA program and being in New York is kind of opening my eye to another uh, business side of the art right so it's it's different um, and another challenge but something that I really need to learn and Mm-hmm. Yeah, that side of it is a whole other... Well, if it makes you feel any better. Because you're saying you didn't really get that education before, right? This is like a new phenomenon. I mean, even when I was in graduate school, they didn't really... When I was there, they didn't really teach you anything about it. Oh. You had to graduate and just learn. as you. It's gotten much more... There's more professional development. There's more career instruction or mm. you know knowledge that you can gain plus there's the internet now when I was in school you didn't know anything like there was no talk about how it works how galleries were how any of that side of it because there was this kind of mindset that well we're not going to taint your education with talking about like business commercial stuff uh. we're just going to talk about the, the the art stuff which really matters but nowadays it's much more responsible and, and more inclusive of being like well you know we're going to tell you a little bit about how this stuff works of course i mean that's reality right? it is yeah uh, then, yeah but they sh- back in the day they could shield reality pretty well from you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i mean my last critique my professor before i graduated he was like what do you plan to do and i said move to new york and he's like it's not easy mm. and that was pretty much my preparation for going to new york as an artist not <laughs> easy not easy okay great <laughs> Thanks for the tip. <laughs> I'll go get them. <laughs> I feel you. I think so. That's that. that mm-hmm. It's good that you're getting that. You know. Yeah, but not really through the program. It's more like um, I would reach out to the alumni I feel closer to. Uh, yeah. People that's a few steps uh, further out there than me. Uh, right. Is would be the main source of where I get all this information from. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the intensity of the education that you've had starting in middle school has put you, like, fast-tracked you (laughs) past a lot of other people who don't... I mean, I was a sophomore in college before I even decided to start. Oh! 
wow. I think so. Mm. I mean, I had drawn my whole life, but as as a major, as like, oh, I'm gonna try to do this, you know. No, that impresses me because I started early, and it was kind of natural for me, and I just stuck to whatever I decided to do when I was young. But people like you who've been doing something else and just s- start this career path of art. Uh, like, how does that even happen? Like, <laughs> well, how? Um, ignorance, stupidity. Like, I had no, <laughs> I didn't know anything. So I was like, oh, this seems fun. I mean, I was in pre-med and I didn't want to do it. So I was like, well, what? this isn't for me. Yeah, you can't be a doctor and not really that into it. Do you want to be operated on by someone who's just like, eh, I really <laughs> want to study this stuff. <laughs> you kind of have to be all in, you know? Mm. So... Um, at that point it was just plus I was poor I didn't grow up with anything so it didn't it was not like the stakes were that high so I was just like I really love art this really seems interesting so I'll try that oh. I mean you did the same thing in a way you just did it in middle school instead of yeah college. but but it was kind of easier to make up the decision then because I wasn't really thinking about making money um, I didn't know right. how serious th- this could get I just decided you know because it was fun. That I had the same sure. experience, except <laughs> I was a sophomore in college. <laughs> but to the point we were talking about earlier, yeah. now with the internet and with information, a lot more is you could figure things out or you can understand that there's a gallery, there's all this stuff, but back then you didn't have it. I mean, even when I applied to graduate schools, there was no internet. So I just had to ask my teachers and they would say, this place is good. So I'd be like, okay, I'll apply there. You couldn't really... How were you going to find out about, you know, places, really? So it was usually people you knew who went somewhere or there was just that connection and you would just say, oh, that seems... Like when I moved to New York, my first job, I didn't know what to do. I mean, I got an art degree. What am I going <laughs> to... Am I going to get a job? So I, I thought to myself, oh, well, Andy Warhol did windows. Oh. So I got a job at Macy's doing windows. Whoa. So it was just... I, it, that was the only thing I could think of but it was just based on an old thing of hearing other artists doing that you know mm. now you can like you know google best entry level job or whatever and you can get a lot there's a lot more information at hand but sometimes it's easier to make those decisions when you don't know the risk or you don't know that much information yeah like, I, like I don't really trust I don't know how deep it. that yeah well that's yeah now we're at that point that's true <laughs> But it's like easier to jump off, like to cliff dive into the water. If you don't know much about the temperature of that water, how deep it is, what you know, let's just go for it. Totally, totally. But if you have all the statistics of what could go wrong, risk management, you'd probably never jump off that cliff. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm paralleling being an artist to jumping off a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Same life choice. <laughs> but hey, it's working out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> of course. So, well, let's um, change gears and talk uh-huh. about when you were in high school. So you're doing these, you know, more exercise based. I'm imagining like still lives and like just that sort of thing. Then when you went to that college, was it continuing in that? Or when were you starting to make decisions of yours of subject matter? 
and infusing into the work some of your personal experience, which I believe now informs a lot of the imagery and the ideas that you have. So what was that transition from the more formal education, what they're telling you to do, and then then like, oh, I've, it's my choice now. What do I do? You know, when did that yeah. happen? Um, I guess mostly like right after I got into college. The problem uh, a lot of people pick up on the like the problem with Korean uh, art education is that you don't it's it's very heavy on the skillful side before you yeah. get into the university and right after that they just tell you to do whatever you want to do and it's kind of like you landed on Mars you know like Right. What am I going to do? Like, I don't know what I like. I don't know what I want to paint. So I guess for me to all four, the four years, um, it was just me trying to find something paintable, uh, trying to find something that I feel related to. And even when I was applying to Columbia, I didn't really know. Uh, I didn't really have a big structure. Um... It was more for me, like, since I came here, that I started to look at my past through in this distance. And, you know, like, when you're so close to something and you're, like, in something, you don't really see it. And you don't, it's like a fish in a pond. You don't know you're in the water. But then once you're out, that's when you realize that, oh, I was in the water, right? So Have um, you heard that, that talk? No, what, where, no. David Foster Wallace's talk in the water. No, no. About the fish telling the other fish, how's the water? Oh, you got to listen to it. Okay, sorry. I thought that's what you were referencing. Go ahead. So, yeah, it's hard to know that you're in the water when you're in the water. Mm-hmm. So, I guess in my case, um, unintentionally, the imagery I've been making during uh, undergrad was influenced by everything that I'm doing right now, too. But it wasn't really clear. But then... Uh, it's now that things are getting clear um, and I can put into actual words why I'm doing such things. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of, it's happening now, basically. Yeah, yeah. Like this personal history of, uh, you know, as I said, observing these vertical power structures, these like dog, catfish, grandparents, aunts, parents, me and my sister, you know, um, that that got me into the interest of this like role play of hierarchy and competitiveness in different forms of life, um, and also like the general idea of competitiveness and uh, and the like relationships that's built inside the tension. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been expanding to a more general idea of competitiveness. Because I guess, like, we all compete for something, you know, especially in the world we live in. Uh, sure. Like, we compete for food, we compete for property, we compete for, I don't know, love. Like, everything's a competition. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's her. Mm-hmm. So, and what about the, the way that you're painting these paintings? How did it, is it sort of your natural way of working is this related to what you were doing in you know undergraduate school 
or has your technique sort of evolved to really um, talk to these ideas that you're exploring? Uh, all that you mentioned, uh, I think is true. On a te- technical level, because I was so uh, into um, like deliberate painting, I think I had a time of struggle to release that. Um, and I think that also made sense for me because I see the act of painting almost as an, as, as an act of covering. So the more you cover, the more significant something gets. Um, and so in reverse, like if you reveal something underneath, it's like uh, letting go of that significance, if that makes any sense. Sure. Um, and I think that's uh, what I wanted to do with my imagery, kind of making a more looser end. So, uh, like, getting lighter, uh, revealing the underlayer, practicing to let go uh, was one thing. And uh, on the structural side, I also think, as I mentioned, uh, the fluidness of stories and unevenness of memories really motivates me. And I think uh, I wanted to have that through the structures I built. Um, and I like the idea of pairing images. And I think of it as one way of growing or even flip-flop, like flipping what was there before. And it gives a room of generos- generosity for myself um, and less pressure to me when I make images. Because, you know, um, I don't know if you do too, but sometimes there's this weird pressure as an image maker that when something is painted and once it's out there especially, it feels kind of taxidermic. Um, like there's no chances for changes. And it's likely that that painting will, will like speak for me and that idea kind of scares me. Um, yeah, no, I know, I know what you're saying. I think having done it now for like 25 years, basically, I think at a certain point you're just like, eh, you know. Like whatever? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're just like, it is what it is. It's a moment, you know. Mm. I, th- I think that, and now when I look back at, you know, the paintings I first started showing in the late 90s, there's something cool like it's like oh yeah it like right after i did those paintings maybe like a couple years like you're talking about i would look and be like oh there's that thing that maybe i would have done that differently and <sighs> like i'm doing this now and i would tweak it but then now looking back at it 20 years later i'm like oh that's cool like that was oh. it, the, the differences or the the things i would change i wouldn't want to change anymore because now i kind of admire the place i was at even if i feel like I've learned a lot since then. Mm. There's something nice about seeing it at that stage. So you're in the stage of acceptance. <laughs> and denial. At <laughs> <laughs> the same time. Yeah. yeah, no, I think I think that does happen to where mm-hmm. you um, get a little more comfortable after a while of just like, yeah, this is what it is, you know. Yeah. It's never going to be exactly how you want it. And, but the thing I think is when I a lot of artists do this where you get kind of obsessed about the next thing Mm. otherwise you might not ever make stuff anymore if you're not no if you're always looking back you know so we kind of get 
we finish a show and we look at it, whatever, and we're like, okay, well, the next thing I want to do, and you start to move forward. And the more you do that, you just, you don't look in the rearview mirror as much and you just get more and more excited about the next thing mm. or what you want to build on or change or tweak. And then you get a little less precious about right that. i mean some i'm sure some people always feel that way i'm just talking about my own experience no i totally relate but i think i'm still at this like stage of uh making something being proud of it for a moment and then uh the next week you look at it and like what what is what even is that you no know? yeah and yeah, also yeah. like the truth is like i change my mind constantly and i'm confused with everything 99% of the time and as much as I want to produce stories through images I want these like feeble thoughts to have a room to change or alter and grow right so like for me to feel better I had to build a structure where I leave open this possibility of um, going back to the image at any time to branch out uh, branch it out like once a painting of new event starts and it that yeah. for me at least for now it feels more honest um yeah yeah those two things one is time changes the work regardless you know what i mean no matter what when you look back at something after five or ten years it it's just different mm. because of everything around you changing you know what i mean so and i think as what like i was saying before we tend to even if it's unconscious we build or we that the sort of building on the image or taking it to the next step you just keep kind of doing that moving forward because if you try to keep doing that moving backwards you you never you can't get anywhere you know what i mean so you kind of you find those little things like oh i wish i could do or that needs that and then in the next painting or the, the next body of work you try to push that and i think that's what kind of keeps us working definitely yeah the worst thing in my mind or not the worst thing that was harsh um one thing that i always thought would be tough is like if you make like you know those bands who have the first record and it's just like they like weezer's first record it you can't beat it it's just from there on it it's not that it's downhill it's just Mm -hmm. like if you make that work that's just so defining and you just feel like oh i nailed it and then you're just trying to capture that feeling again, but mm. you can never really get to that feeling. So it's almost better to just like feel like you're slowly climbing a hill that just keeps getting bigger and bigger because you're still pushing. You're still trying to explore. Absolutely. Uh, and then finding, it's like finding the treasure chest on day one. And you're like, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the, the hunt is the fun part of it. Or at least it's the thing that keeps you motivated and interested and compelled to do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's um, part of being honest with your work, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think no one has ever really figured it out. Oh. Ever. In the history of humanity. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have gotten closer than others mm. or, have, you know, done amazing, but no one really ever figures it out. So that's why we just keep doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Are you, uh, do you ever break out the violin? Ah. Uh. Well, um, no, yet, but I do have a plan that I want to start my violin and, um, I don't know, find an orchestra that I could be a part of 
when I reached my 30s, like mid 30s. Yeah, that's <laughs> to be the specific. time you're gonna dip back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good because then you you go through this gauntlet. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're working through your work, and then you can take a breath. Yeah, and then, you know, break out the violin and get going on it. Yeah, I guess like. Do you? Uh huh. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just gonna say, do you listen to music while you're working? Are you are you a big music fan? You know, Brian. Like, I was so Uh-oh. happy <laughs> to. Uh, I don't even know where to start with music because it's such a big part of my life. Um, nice. Almost equivalent to art, not if not a bit more. Um, and just to put it out there, I'm a diehard classic rock fan. But nice. going back. Um, to my violin stage, my first musical era. Uh, so my first love was violin, right? I started playing it uh, in my first year of elementary school, like right out of kindergarten. And imagine how small I would have been back then. And a small human needs a small violin. <laughs> and just, just yeah. like clothes. So some instruments need to fit your body and violin is one of those instruments. And so I remember as I grew, my violin grew along. And I think I've probably gone through um, three or four of them. And I like to line them up like smallest to largest in size, like in this yeah. crescendo order. Um, and, I, and anyways, um, during my elementary schools, school years, um, as I said, I joined a school orchestra. Uh, and it was a legit one. It wasn't like one of those uh, in Simpsons where Lisa plays her saxophone. <laughs> um, the little solo yeah no it wasn't like that and you know okay. um, and I think instruments are one of the most beautiful things in the world you know and um, playing an instrument is one way of voicing through an object and when you play it together in a group setting it's like communication yeah. and I think um, this orchestra experience is, was and is the only kind of collaborative activity that I think I've ever fully enjoyed because um, yeah. most of the times like I like to be alone uh, do things alone and I guess like that's what makes me possible to be in my studio all day, all day as my main practice but um, yeah that was like an exception in my life um, and after giving that up to pursue my path as an artist as I mentioned uh, I didn't really listen to classical music as much I do now, but um, back then it f- was a bit of a scar in my heart, and I needed some right. time and distance from it to heal. Because you know, like yeah, I, I loved it. Experience. Yeah, it's like human relationship almost. Um, so it was like your mom not talking about you know and waiting until much later on to talk about it. You, it's almost like you have to yeah. give it time and space from the trauma to be able to like you know dip back into that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So after that, um, I had a time of wandering with music uh, during my middle school years, listening to a little bit of this and that. And it ranged something like uh, from Bernard Cohen to like Seal, some Usher <laughs> to some yeah. techno, uh, like really random. I also had like a film soundtrack phase, uh, like Alexandra Despla, Ellen Goraker, I don't think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, he made the La Planète Sauvage soundtrack. Do you know? 
Oh, I don't know that. It's it's great. Recommended. Very much. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a weird animation. What is the, what is the um? Because classical, I love classical in theory. I don't listen to a lot of it, but occasionally I'll put it on for the mood. Mm-hmm. But I don't go deep in cla- like jazz. I can I can go deep, but oh. um, what is the violin banger? For, you know, like, what's the, who's the artist that you want to hear violin for in classical? Uh, there's this Korean uh, violinist named Kyung Hwa Chung. Mm-hmm. She would be my go-to. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta send that to me afterwards. Of um, course. Yeah, because yeah. I got into, with the band I was in, there was a cello player. And oh, you know, I love, I love strings. Yeah, cello is beautiful. And um, you know, so I got into sort of like Steve Reich and you know uh, Philip Glass and that kind of repetitive, you know, things like that that are a little more experimental, like avant-garde, minimal, Tony Conrad, things like that, like stringed instruments that were doing that, and then some that in the jazz realm. But I never went deep into classical. But mm. it's a nice mood when when the time hits. Yeah, know? yeah. It, it works. <laughs> what was your follow-up music question? Mm-hmm. When you said techno, what was your techno? Because that word is so funny because <laughs> the origins of techno is like a certain thing, but I think it's gone on to mean different things in different genres. So what was your techno? What was my techno? Like IDM? I guess so, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, Were there any artists that you were really into? I can't really remember because... I was just having a taste test of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, moving on, at some point in my, during my high school, I was looking through some magazines to search for uh, reference images to add to my scrapbook. And you know, it was a time before smartphones became such a huge thing in our lives. Uh, right. This like insparable thing. So the concept of screenshotting was also non-existent or maybe I wasn't familiar with it so I had to literally like rip a page out of a magazine or a book to save it um, in in this like physical file I suppose I'm the last generation to do that which I'm super (laughs) grateful of Um, right so anyways I was just doing something like that flipping through the pages and boom there's this man wearing a weird ass vase shaped black and white striped jumpsuit and guess who that is Brian <laughs> <laughs> who was that David Bowie okay Our, that, makes, that makes sense Ziggy Stardust <laughs> and um Space his, Odyssey yeah in his Ziggy Stardust era and his visual just stroked me so I go up to my mom yeah. and ask who this uh fabulous looking alien is and she tells me that oh that's David Bowie and um He's the king of glam rock. So I look up his performances, and again, like, I fall in love. Like, the clothing, clothing, makeup, uh, hairstyle, platform shoes, the glitters, you know. Everything was mesmerizing. And I guess that was my first introduction to rock. And then on expanded to, you know, like, Guns N' Roses, Scorpions, Alice in Chains. (laughs) Black Sabbath, <laughs> yes, yeah. T-Rex, Deep Purple, yeah, all the know, goodies, all kinds of, yes, all kinds. Um, 
And I think my dad heard me listening to these stuff. And one day he gave me his old Pink Floyd The Wall album and The oh, Doors nice. Roadhouse Blues album. Uh, which are, those are my favorite bands, actually. And he told me that back when he was young and when psychedelic rock became a thing, it was banned in Korea because it was a super conservation era and they didn't like how rebellious they were and how like right. hazy they were, like drugs. So he told me how he used to illegally listen to them. And I guess like from then on, I started to collect vinyls. And vinyl cover designs are also... Uh, something i'm very interested in oh uh, yeah mm. amazing it's amazing like i have this book called 1000 vinyl covers i think mm -hmm. uh, which is like a full archive of album art only and i always in the back of my head uh thought i thought that it would be cool to work on album covers someday and it that also yeah, influenced me yeah a lot nice. do you have friends who are musicians you should try to get them to i mean there's not much vinyl made oh well, i guess some people still do it but but yeah making cover art it's fun uh, have you have you done any or yeah yeah i've done i've done a few record covers over the years i mean um, especially earlier when there was more of that going on and cds like mm, i would do cd covers for people how did that happen? But yeah i did like, did you have uh, friends well i've always well yeah i played music and i'm, I'm very involved in the music community and i have a lot of people that I've collaborated with and you know over time so it's just sort of through those connections it's a small world mm. but um I don't know if you know the the art writer Martha Schwendener she no. writes for the New York Times she's yeah. a really great critic but she used to be in Bowery Electric which was this pretty great band from New York wow. and then she did a solo record and she just reached out and she's like can I use this painting for my CD cover but uh it was it was really cool to just I mean sometimes people just reach out and say do my record cover which is fun hopefully that happens to me too <laughs> yeah well, you can put it out there make online if you like musicians and a lot of the musicians like some of the music that I've used for the podcast or people I've become friends with I just like their music and I reach out over like Instagram or something and initiate a conversation that's cool and I wanted to ask so like I, I was curious because you know Sound and Vision that's one of David Bowie's songs and I was wondering yes. like if you are his big fan or like what's your relationship to that i do i do like bowie i've never been a huge bowie person but i do really like mm -hmm. david bowie i love that song mm -hmm. and i love his music but i've i'm not like a super fan or anything but i also um when i was playing music and recording in chicago in the early 2000s there was a band that i really loved called the sea and cake and the sea and cake did a cover of Sound of Vision that I absolutely loved. Oh. And I think that kind of inspired, that made it a bigger imprint on me. I mean, I love the Bowie song too, but it doubled down because there was mm. this other band that I really loved. And Sam Precop, who's the lead singer of that band, is also an artist and a painter. And oh. I've actually had him on the podcast. So there's that connection of not only Bowie, but also that Chicago time and that song and its, and its meaning. And plus... I love music and art. It just seemed to, to work. That's cool. I, I cried when he passed away in 2016, I think. Oh, so you were a super fan. <laughs> I was a super fan. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, back to music. Well, as of now, I listen to all kinds of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. So if 
I had to choose a genre, it would be rock. But well, I have this file where I categorize my pl- playlist. And so there's, of course, I have a studio file, um, driving file, rainy day file, uh, consolation file, <laughs> working out <laughs> file, all, all different file. kinds with, yeah, like all right. different kinds with all different moods. Um, but then studio file in particular, uh, and I think the atmosphere of the music really gets captured in the painting too. So yeah. um, as I was telling you, I'm a fan of how, I'm a fan of psychedelic rocks, uh, Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. The Doors. And I like it because they're strong, but they're not loud. Um, and I think that's their superpower. Uh, so I have a lot of those in that uh, playlist. And I also like listening to a lot of instrumental soundtracks or music that has lyrics in languages that I can't understand, like yeah. Japanese or Mongolian, because like, they perform as sounds, not words. Um, right. So yeah, my studio uh, music would be something like that. Yeah, I feel like when I listen to Korean music, not K-pop per se, but Korean music, it's I don't, I can't understand most of it, so, mm-hmm. or 99% of it, so it's kind of, uh, you know, it's easier to work to, in a way. Yeah, yeah, you don't get caught up in the l- lyrics, it doesn't bother right. you. but you hear the voice, mm-hmm. which is still nice. You know? Yeah, yeah and good. sometimes it's sad when you love the sound, but you don't agree to the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. That stops me from listening to that song. It's like, right. shoot, I shouldn't have looked into the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, it can really contain... That's the beauty of, of like, not knowing sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it, it can make things a little nicer. Um, so, so with uh, for people to, you know, check out your stuff, what's mm-hmm. the best way to do it? I mean, you're on Instagram, website. Uh, you do have a website. I, I do yeah, have a website. It's pretty up to date. I, I, as you know, have a show coming up in LA in Make Room Gallery mm-hmm. uh, that's going to run through the LA Freeze Week. Uh, so, like, if you're that's ever exciting. around, yeah, you could come by, see things. Uh, it's mostly works I've been cooking up in my studio. And then your, your Instagram handle for people. Yeah, it's May E. May E. That's the name of my dog. <laughs> it's like my little alter ego. But Maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much for talking. It was great to, to meet. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Sound Division is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find more about the podcast on the website soundofvisionpodcast.com or on instagram you can find images at Podcast. please give it a follow and share it with friends you can support the podcast by leaving a rating or review wherever you listen and download your podcasts it really helps or share it with a friend spread the word many thanks to young men for taking the time to talk make sure you check out her show at make room gallery if you are in los angeles in the next month or so Many thanks to Fulcrum and Golden for their long-withstanding sponsorship of the podcast and for keeping me paint ready in the studio and caffeine ready 
in life in general. Why I Make Art is the official podcast book. You can also get that to support the podcast, and you can get it at atelieredictions.com, the publisher of the book. Mark your calendar. March 28th is my opening reception for my new show, Beauty is a Rare Thing, and that's going to be opening up at Miles McHenry Gallery on 22nd Street, so make sure you come out to that. There's going to be some good music being played, and there's going to be some drinks and some fun, so make sure you mark your calendar and everyone's invited to come hang out and see what I've been working on for the past year and a half in between talking to amazing artists. So thank you for listening. we got some great episodes coming up, so make sure you stay subscribed and tuned. Thank you very much.